Thank you, Brad, for reading that scripture. And I invite you to pull out those message notes and follow along. And uh, just keep your Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16. I heard a story. I heard about a husband and a wife that were celebrating their 60th birthday together. They were celebrating their 60th birthday together when all of a sudden an angel appeared before them and an angel said, I will grant you, I will grant each of you your wish. And the lady thought about it for a moment and she said, you know, I've always wanted to travel. And poof, after the smoke cleared, there was a, uh, a whole bunch of tickets, airline tickets in her hands. And her six-year-old husband hung his head and, and he said, you know, I've always, I've always wanted a wife that is 30 years younger. And all of a sudden, poof, the angel cleared away and he was 90 years old. <laughs> oh, man, goodness. Be careful what you wish for, right? Be careful what you wish for. You know, uh, in the context, it tells us that Saul wished to be king of Israel. Saul wished to be king of Israel. He was elected as the first king of Israel, and he went along with it. He really wanted to be the first king of Israel. But because of his bad choices and because of the things that he did, the consequences of those bad choices, it led him to a very, very uh, bad place in his life, you might want to say. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you'd help me to share this message and make it applicable to our lives this uh, July of 2013. In the midst of uh, vacations, in the midst of um, the busyness of life, help me, Lord, and help us as a church to listen and to pay attention to your word and, and uh, continue to lead us through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Help me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, we looked and see, we saw how David defeated Goliath. What we want to do this morning is we want to go back to chapter 16. We skipped over 16 and went to 17, but we want to go back to chapter uh, 16. And you would all agree with me. I, I know you would because we've all had experiences where we feel very, very depressed and we feel very discouraged. And when we're wrestling with an issue and we're thinking about something and we're giving over to perhaps anxious thoughts and we're giving over to despair and worry, when all of a sudden a, a song will come to our, to our mind. My favorite is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I often, on Sunday mornings as I'm preparing, I'll sing that song because if I don't feel God's love, it's hard for me to love other people. Or perhaps count your blessings Name them one by one. Or, as we got through singing this morning, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that Saved a Wretch Like Me. A, a particular song will come to mind. The words of the 18th century English dramatist William Congreve sounds a truth that touches us all. He wrote many years ago, Music, music has charms to soothe a savage breast, to soften rocks or to bend a knotted oak tree. And those of us who have had children and those of us perhaps who still have children at home, especially when they were babies, we remember, we remember those times when they were weeping and crying and they were hot with their tears and all of a sudden we would sing a sweet lullaby to them or a sweet song and it calmed them down. 
Well, besides being a shepherd, David was also a musician. Uh, according to Scripture, what we know is, is that David wrote over half the Psalms, and many of those Psalms are songs sung to God and about God that they would later perform and sing in the temple. We also know that many songs that David wrote were written during this particular time in 1 Samuel when he was dealing with Saul and all the particular problems that we're going to be seeing in just a few weeks. But let me set the scene for 1 Samuel chapter 16 this morning. Remember, God has rejected Saul as king. He has rejected Saul as king. And Saul's been disobedient. Saul's been involved in things he should not be involved in. And he rejected him as king. And he has anointed, the prophet has anointed David as the new king of Israel. And in the meantime, um, Saul is still on the throne, however. There's an in-between time between David and Saul. And uh, we read even more depressing news about Saul. Something strange and something terrifying, something horrifying has happened. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Another translation says, terrorized him. Saul was being terrorized by an evil spirit. And this was no secret to anyone within earshot of his chamber, of his bedroom. So much so that his servant emphatically says in verse 15, look at it with me. Saul's attendant said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servant here to search for someone who can play the harp. Saul was possessed by an evil spirit. In fact, you know the word terrorize here in Hebrew, uh, the word is bath, and it literally is translated and it literally means to fall upon. It means to startle. It means to overwhelm. Saul was literally overwhelmed. Saul was literally startled by an evil spirit that came upon him. And he, perhaps he would roll around. Perhaps he would do all those face distortions. Perhaps he would scream violently. And we know for sure that he went into murderous rages, which we will see later on in this particular, uh, in, in First Samuel. Now, can this happen today? Can this happen today? Can be, people be possessed by an evil spirit? And uh, more importantly, can Christian people be possessed by an evil spirit today? I, I want to get, I want to uh, talk with you just a moment about some of these particular issues. And I want to give you some uh, guidelines you might want to say. First of all, I want you to understand that there are differences of opinion about this particular passage of Scripture. And I happen to have an opinion on one side of the coin and perhaps there are other people that have opinions on the other side of the coin. But first of all, I want to give you my opinion. I don't believe that God is the instigator of evil. I do not believe that God is an instigator of evil. However, He sovereignly has control, the Bible says, over evil spirits and over Satan for a period of time. The Bible says that Satan is a small god of this world and God has given him certain freedoms, but still the Lord is sovereignly in control of him. And, uh, and he allows, he allows evil spirits to torment and possess Saul. I believe he allowed an evil spirit to torment and possess Saul. If Saul perhaps would have repented, if Saul would not have done the things that he did, perhaps he would not have been uh, affected by this evil spirit. 
And this leads me to my second point I want to make this morning. God can use an evil spirit. He can use an evil spirit. He can use uh, trials and tribulations. He can use all of these things in life to discipline people. And in the Bible and the Scripture, there are examples of this particular thing that we're talking about. The goal behind all of this is loving discipline to get the person's attention so that they will repent and get out of the particular sin that they find themselves in. Now, listen to this. I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. This is what it says. The church, the church was allowed to turn a grossly immoral member over to Satan. Isn't that interesting? The church was allowed to turn a grossly immoral member over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? So that the trials and the difficulties and perhaps the satanic influences that were exerted upon this person would make him so painful and so uncomfortable that he would repent from whatever willful sin he was in. He would suffer so much, in other words, that he would turn back to God. Isn't that interesting? Now, Number three, I want to let us know this morning, God does not want us to be ignorant. God does not want us to be ignorant about, uh, uh, about these particular things, about Satan, nor does he want us to be obsessed with Satan. Did you hear what I said? You see, there are two extremes. There is what I call the devil behind every bush mentality. That's an extreme where a person focuses so much on Satan, that's all they do. You've heard people like that. You've been around circles, perhaps you've been around churches, and they say, Satan this, and Satan that, and Satan this, and Satan this, and they really have a devil behind every bush mentality, and they're blaming Satan for the fact that they've got a cold, they're blaming Satan for the fact that they got in a car wreck, they blame Satan for anything and everything. That's one extreme, the devil behind every bush mentality. The second extreme is to be totally oblivious to old snaggletooth and to understand and not to understand that we are involved in the spiritual warfare and the spiritual warfare is happening. Now, when I said earlier, uh, the context tells us that God is not the instigator of evil. God allows evil to happen, but he's not the instigator of evil. So I believe the context of these particular scriptures where it says that the evil spirit came from God, the context is God allowed it to happen. And that seems to be uh, the majority of the individuals who study this particular passage of scripture, that's where they land. But other people disagree. For some reason, I don't understand uh, what's happening with their logical thinking. But... Um, Satan often thrives in our present era and age because people are totally oblivious and they don't understand what's happening and going on. Back in the Midwest, uh, two or three years ago, I re remember reading about a 16-year-old young man that choked his 9-year-old brother to death. Can you imagine that? A 16-year-old boy choked his 9-year-old brother to death. And in a very monotone voice, he told that he was wrestling with his brother, who, by the way, the younger brother idolized his older brother, and they were wrestling during a, during a wrestling match, and he felt the urge, he said, to choke his younger brother out. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, you can actually choke a person until they become unconscious, and it's called choking out. And so he felt the urge to choke his younger brother out. And then he said... He heard a voice, he felt an impression, both of those, 
And he went on and put both of his hands on his younger brother's throat, and he, he choked him with all of his strength until his little brother was dead. Isn't that sad? And isn't that tragic? And you say, Pastor Ron, what's happening? What's going on? Well, I think Satan thrives in our present era. His dark deeds are often excused as temporary insanities, sociopathic behavior, wife and child abuse, uh, shooting rampages, serial killings, and those who commit such crimes often explain that they were overwhelmed or they were overcome by such compelling forces and they heard voices. And often, I believe, Satan is the unnamed victor, you might want to say, in those particular instances. Guideline number four. Guideline number four. I believe that God's Word teaches that Christians cannot be possessed. Christians cannot be possessed by an evil spirit today. However, I believe what other people believe, and there are disagreements about this, I want you to know as well. I believe that Christian people can be oppressed. You say, what's the difference between the two? Well, let's talk about it. And I want you to notice verse 14 again. Look at verse 14 again. It says, now the Spirit of the Lord had departed. God's Spirit left, departed, and notice what happened. An evil spirit from the Lord tormented Saul. As long as we're Christian people, as long as we have the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of us, I do not believe that as Christian people that we can be possessed. Notice that passage of Scripture said, God's Spirit left, and then the evil spirit came upon him, and he was possessed. Well, if a Christian cannot be possessed by an evil spirit, then what's the problem? You say, possessed, possessed. not possessed, but oppressed. What does that mean? Well, it just means that we're involved in some sort of spiritual battle and conflict. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about, you know, don't give in to willful sin over a period of time without repenting, keeping short accounts with God, because you give the devil a foothold in your life. Now, Satan's favorite strategy, you would agree with me, this is what the Scripture says, are lies. The Bible says he's the father of lies. The Bible says he's a deceiver of the brethren. The Bible says that he um, uses deception. He's like an angel of light. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. So how how do evil spirits interfere with our lives? How do evil spirits interfere with Christian people's lives? Let me see if I can share with you. I borrowed this illustration from someone, but I want to share a very, very simple illustration with you this morning. Let's say that we've begun the Christian life and we started on this walk and this journey and we're on a long road. And at the end of the windy road is Jesus Christ. And so we started again on this journey. We've committed ourselves to Jesus Christ. We're walking down this this roadway toward Jesus and there's nothing that can obstruct our walk and there's nothing that will interfere with our uh, that will impede our progress that we're making toward Jesus Christ, whatever. But on either side of the roadway are these row houses. These row houses. You've seen those houses with no yards in between. There's just house after house after house. And there's a bottom and there's a top. And they have windows and they have doors. And you might want to say, in those windows and, and hanging out those windows and hanging out their doors are Satan and evil spirits. Again, they cannot impede your progress. They cannot put anything there. They can't hold you back. They can't hit you over the head with anything. But what do they do? 
They're hanging out these doors, they're hanging out these windows, and they're trying to lure you. Remember, we talked about one time before that temptation happens, three different avenues of temptation according to 1 John. There is a lust of the flesh, there is a lust of the eyes, there's the pride of life. And so they'll say things like, you know, um, you know, hey, taste this, uh, experience this, this is good, this is great. Father of lies, it's not good for you. It, it's, it goes against God's will, but they're tempting or whatever it may be. And what are they trying to do? What is the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal of those snaggletooth and those uh, satanic beings are to get you from making forward progress toward Jesus, to get you to the place where you're paralyzed. We talked about last week. Remember we said David fought Goliath, and Goliath was a primary giant, and giants often use fear and intimidation to get you to the place where you're paralyzed in your Christian walk and you are at a standstill and you sit down and you don't go forward and you're kind of just don't in a no man's land or to get you veered off of, cor- off of the course. Hey, it looks good over here. I've got something you really want. It tastes good. It feels good. And it's a lot more fun than your boring walk down the street. Come on and, and take a look. And um, other remarks which are hurled at you. Remember all these lies. You don't need to go to church today. You don't need to be around fellowship. You don't need to be involved in, in other people's lives. You don't need to pray. You don't need, need to read the Bible. You don't need to all this stuff. And uh, all these thoughts and all these things. And remember, we talked about this. We said that often our minds are like a open frequency. And all these thoughts come in and out. And some of, some of the time we say, well, that's just from the world or that's from myself. But often we don't realize that many of those thoughts do come from the enemy of our soul, because, again, he can't hold us back. He can't hit us over the head. He can't impede our progress. The only thing that he can use is our minds, our minds. And that's a battlefield, and that's a battle area. And uh, he'll say things like, you know, how could God love you? He'll get you to tempt you to sin, and you give him the temptation, and, and then he hits you over the head with the fact that you failed. How could you be a Christian? How could you do the things that you say you wouldn't do and, and, and hit you over the head? Remember, he's the accuser of the brethren. That's just what Scripture says. And, uh, and things like, oh, you know, God doesn't love you, and, 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 and he, he will never love you. And he can't love you, and his love is conditional. No, it isn't. God's love is unconditional. Conditional. Remember what Paul wrote? Neither height, nor depth, nor principality, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come can ever, ever separate us from the love of God found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what happens, I've noticed, and other people have noticed, and, uh, and um, you know, is that if we give in to willful sin over a period of time, Old snaggletooth can get a foothold in our life. And I think that there are at least three different steps that usually occurs here. First of all, it begins like all of us. We hear these, uh, we, we get these impressions in our minds. We, 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 we get these, these things. And, um, and we, um, we're, there's a steady barrage of sinful thoughts that come in. And, and occasionally we act upon those things. But if you act on those things more and more and more, then you can go to the second level. And I think there is a second level. The second area of conflict we're talking about uh, being oppressed by old snaggletooth is characterized by those people who can, may or may not be able to distinguish their 
thoughts and from strange evil voices that seem to overpower them. In other words, they begin to hear not just thoughts, but they, they, they get, begin to hear voices. You say, Pastor Ron, that sounds really strange. But when you talk to people and when you understand the backgrounds of individuals and when you understand some of the things that people have been involved in, it is not very strange. And we know, we know that when Jesus encountered individuals, they were hearing voices. Christian people, not only having thoughts, but now they're hearing voices. Are you saying that all the voices that you hear, are you saying that all mental health is caused from the devil? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that sometimes that may be the case. And then there is a third level here. The third level. And I have met Christian people. You say they're not Christians. I, I know they're Christians. I have met Christian people at the third level who hear voices all the time. And they seemingly have very little control in their own life. And uh, there's a conflict there. And they often say and do things that they don't even want to do. And, um, and, and you see, there are several ways of responding here. There are several ways of responding to the demonic taunts and barbs thrown our way. First of all, don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. Let me give you uh, just a word of encouragement here. The lies come at us, and we don't have to believe them. What does the Bible say? It says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I don't have to believe those lies. Don't believe those lies. You've been a Christian long enough. I've been a Christian long enough. We know when those lies come in our mind. Don't believe them. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Don't believe them. Number two. Number two. Don't argue. Don't argue with old snaggletooth. You know, you see, sometimes we get a Hollywood perspective. We think that we're supposed to have some sort of empower encounter with old snaggletooth and his demonic beings and we're supposed to conjure up and there's supposed to be a power struggle and everything else. You don't argue with a liar. You don't argue with a liar. You have everything you need to live a victorious Christian life. God has given you the, according to Ephesians chapter 6, He's given you the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. He's given you the belt of truth. He's given us the sandals of peace. And He's given us the shield of faith. And He's given us the sword of spirit. He's given us everything we need to defeat old Snaggletooth. We don't want to argue with Him. We don't want to argue. We don't want to get involved in some sort of confrontation. We just say, that's not true. I'm not going to argue. Everything that God has given me, I need in my life. And I'm going to make forward progress, and I'm going to continue on. I'm going to ignore all of these thoughts and everything coming in. I'm going to take every thought captive. That, that thought's not right. That thought's not right. I'm not going to give in to this temptation because I want to continue to make forward progress. I want to continue to grow in maturity in my Christian life. And then, do repent. If there has been some giving in, if there's been some compromise in your life, and if you've been involved in some things that you should not be involved in, the Bible says repent. Repent. 
Get out of it. Do the things that you were doing first when you became a Christian. That newness, that freshness, that first love. Get back on track. Repent, the Bible says. And get, 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 those, get rid of those things in your particular life. And, uh, and again, take every thought captive. And when those fiery darts come your way of temptation, whatever it may be, lift up the shield of faith. Lift up the shield of faith. Lift up the shield of faith. Lift up the shield of faith all around you. Well, let me go on here. We, we had a favorite program that Kathy and I often watched. It's, it's off the television now. And we watched it for a year and a half. And you're going to laugh at me when I tell you what it was. But we would hardly miss a Friday evening. And we were sad when that program went off television. And we indulged ourselves with Smallville. We like Smallville. Can you believe that? Uh, Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman. And Lois Lane, his love interest, the, the, the Daily Planet news reporter. And I remember one particular show, it, it, it talked about, the episode, it talked about uh, Clark Kent and, um, and Lois Lane, and they went to their Smallville High School reunion. And somehow, Clark, you got to stay with me here, okay? It's a convoluted pilot. Uh, uh, it's convoluted, the, the storyline. But anyway, Clark is transported back in time. He's at his high school reunion with Lois, and he's transported back in time. You see, he was susceptible to evil because he didn't have a pure heart. He didn't have a pure heart. He kept saying, I don't know what the problem is. What's wrong with my heart? So he goes back in time and discovers it, that, that in his mind, he couldn't forgive himself for his father's death. He couldn't forgive himself for his father's death. Okay? And then he goes back into the future, and he realizes that he's afraid of revealing to Lois who he really is. He is Superman. Because she may not be ready for it. He cannot forgive himself for the past, and he's afraid of the future. It gets a little more convoluted here. And Brainiac, a former enemy, now turned friend, says, in my paraphrase, a friend says to him, Clark, Kellel, think the right thoughts, know the truth. You're not responsible for your father's death. That's false guilt. And don't fear the future. You have a wonderful future ahead of you. I, I can't think of any greater advice. We've been forgiven of our past, and yet old Snaggletooth likes to bring that past up all the time, doesn't he? You're terrible. You're awful. You did this thing. You did that thing. It's all under grace. It's all under God's... Jesus Christ, what He did on the cross, the blood that was shed there, the atonement for our sins. It's, it's forgiven. It's in the past. I'm so afraid. I'm so fearful of the future. Where does that fear come from? Where are those thoughts planted in your mind? You're going down the road and you're following Jesus and there's Jesus right there and all these thoughts are coming your way, whatever. And again, God has given you everything you need to lead a victorious Christian life. You have all the armor that God provides. And our job is not to 
is not to argue with old Snaglatooth, is not to get in some sort of battle and thinking we have to duke it out with him. Just don't believe the lies. Don't accept the lies. Realize that God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What does Scripture say? I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. All things through Jesus Christ. We often say the same resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you and it's available to me. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. But life is so daily. And we know, we, we should know what we should know, what we should know. And this is very, very basic. And yet I find that people don't understand it or they need to be reminded of it on a regular basis basis. Well, I'd like to continue the subject again at a later time, but back to our story. So Saul is terrorized by an evil spirit. He's terrorized by an evil spirit. And 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 um, and it was so visible to his servants that they boldly suggested, again, let's look at verses 16 and 17. They said, let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit comes from God and comes upon you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. And the first person off of the servant's lips, the name that was mentioned, guess whose name was mentioned? Verse 18, there's talking about David. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse from Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and he's a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. Now, that wasn't a bad resume, was it? Did you hear all those things? Warrior, da-da-da, da-da-da. And among all of those details on his resume, he was a great musician. He played the harp. And so he was brought into the king's chamber, not because of all the other things, but because he was a musician. And this leads me to my final point I want to make this morning. Did you know that God can use anything? God can use anything from your past. He can use anything from your past, any educational thing, anything that you ever participated in, any game that you've ever learned, anything that you've ever done, your good things and even bad things. God can use anything from your past To glorify his name in the present and the future. He can make something good even out of the bad. And he takes a little and he makes much out of it. And that's precisely what happened to David. There David was, imagine with me, there David was out in the sheepfolds and he's plucking his harp and he's he's probably got a good voice and he's singing songs to God and about God. He's out there and you know, and, and he's been anointed new king of Israel, but he's gone back in the sheepfolds. Nobody else knows about it except for David and his immediate family. Saul doesn't know about it. Saul's servants doesn't know about it. Only Samuel and, and, and David's immediate family. And David, they know he's been elected king. And guess what happens? Out of the blue, while he's out in the sheepfolds, Saul's servant comes to him and says, The king needs you. And he goes to the king's chamber and Saul is demon-possessed and he goes into these murderous rages and remember, the Spirit of God has left Saul 
And David has been anointed the new king, and he has a fresh anointing, uh, David does, on his life. And don't you know that he comes in, starts playing the harp beautifully, sensitive to God, and God's using him, and begins to calm Saul down. Again, when David came into Saul's presence, Saul had no idea who David was. He just came in and started playing his harp. And David's standing by with his musical ability. Now, you may think that that skill that you learned years ago, or you may think that that thing that you did years ago is lost, or that you wasted all your time on such and such, but don't believe it. Don't believe it. I, I've mentioned this before, church, but I grew up with a dad who bought an old house. We grew up in a lumber community, very similar to John Day. And my dad bought this old company house, and it had beams underneath the house where they logged it, or you know, uh, it had a stamp on it from the 1890s. That house is over a hundred years old, and when my folks bought it for two or three thousand dollars, it was falling down. And so every winter when my dad wasn't logging, he would do major renovation projects. He did everything from the foundation to the plumbing to the electrical to the to the uh, siding to the sheetrock to the roof, everything that you can ever think of. And guess what? Who and guess who his helper was? Guess who hated every minute of it? I hated it. Do you ever hate doing something as a kid? Maybe you don't like. Maybe you didn't like to milk the cows, or maybe you didn't like to feed the chickens, or whatever. For me, it was working on that old house because it was so boring, and because my dad was such an ogre at times. Yes, he was. He's not now. He's a sweet man, but he was an ogre. And he didn't have very much patience. And he said, get this, get that, get this, get that, get this, get that, you know, you know. And I want to go play. I want to go be with my friends. I want to do all this stuff. And I have to spend every spare minute with my dad working on that stupid old house that's ready to fall down. And that was my attitude. But did you know what? When I, after being a pastor for a few years, we built a house. And guess who had to do some of the infrastructure? Guess who had to do some of the fencing? Guess who had to do some of the sidewalks? Guess who had to do some work on that particular house? I did because I wanted to save some money. And guess what? It was fun. It was fun. I enjoyed myself. And I found out that I had latent talents. I could actually drive a nail straight. And I could actually cut a board off straight. I could do it. Who would ever have thought that? A kid who hated doing what his dad wanted him to do working on that old house. My point being is that God uses all those past experiences, all those past things in our life, and He can make something good, even out of the bad stuff that we experience, for His good and for His glory. Who would have ever thought that David would be called in the presence of the king just because he could play a harp beautifully? But that's how it came about, and he went into God's presence. I want to close. Did you know that uh, Martin Luther, there's a story told about him, Martin Luther the Great Reformer. I talked about him a little bit last week. But Martin Luther, the great reformer of the Protestant Reformation, 
he was asked, he was asked one day by a humble shoemaker, he was asked by a humble shoemaker that just committed his life to Jesus Christ. He said, I want to be used by God. I want to be used for the glory of God. A humble shoemaker came to him, just committed himself to Jesus Christ, and he said this to Martin Luther, the great reformer. I want to be used for God, for His glory. What should I do? And supposedly Martin Luther looked at him, put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, Make good shoes for the glory of God. Make good shoes for the glory of God. In other words, flourish where you're planted. Take advantage of where you're at in your life at this time. I have one more story. Remember uh, years ago the movie Chariots of Fire? We remember that movie, don't we? Remember years ago the, the movie Chariots of Fire? And it was a movie about a couple of those characters. And one of the characters that the movie highlighted was Eric Little. And Eric Little was a long-distance runner who eventually won a gold medal for a long-distance race at the Summer Olympics. But he was also a pastor. He was also a missionary. And after the Olympics, Eric Little ended up in China, sadly, and ended up in a prisoner of war camp, and he died. He died in China. But remember when a news reporter asked him in the movie, remember this particular scene? A reporter asked him the question. They said, you're a minister of the gospel. You are a missionary. What are you doing running races? What are you doing running? What are you doing entering the Olympics? Isn't that a waste of time according to your Christian faith? Basically, that's what he was asking. And do you remember how Eric Little answered that reporter? Do you remember that? This is my paraphrase. Eric Little responded, I run to make God smile. I run for the pleasure of God. Whatever you do, whether it's raising kids, going to work, making donuts, being a forester, being a rancher, being a teacher, cutting wood, you can do it to make God smile. This is David. This is David. This is this young man. He was an outstanding young man because God saw his heart. Remember? He had a surrendered heart. He had a surrendered The heart of the matter is always the heart. And you can, you, can, you can do anything for the glory of God as long as your heart is in the right place. And God will use you in a tremendous way. Well, if I had to say one more thing uh, to wrap this up, and I, I am finished, I am. Don't let anything impede your progress. There's Jesus. Continue to walk toward the Lord. Don't believe those lies that are coming your way. If you get involved in some sort of willful sin, repent, get out of it. Realize that God has given you 
uh, uh, the, the armor that you need. You have everything you need to lead, live this victorious Christian life. You don't have to be worried about snagglehoods. Don't believe his lies. Don't engage him in some sort of power struggle. Don't do that. That's a bunch of uh, Hollywoodism. Let's pray together.